Welcome in to Monday Madness Sports Talk, your one-stop shop for all things Chicago sports and beyond, right here on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. of Monday Madness Sports Talk. My name is Noah Festenstein, here talking the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. So let's get us started here for episode 204, all the way from Harper College Radio to Radio DePaul Sports. Glad to have you with me here on June 21st, 2021 going to be a special episode here today, talking some sports and having a guest on today's episode. So let's do it. Super, super excited for this one and glad to have you with me. Man, this all the lights intro just never gets old. I love it, and I hope you love what's to come here on today's episode. So let's just jump right into what I'm going to be doing. What's on the schedule today for episode 204 of Monday Matter Sports Talk? I'm going to start us off with some baseball, MLB, kind of gather up the best teams from this past week, from the past couple weeks, in terms of me not talking baseball the past couple weeks. The Cubs, White Sox here in Chicago, of course, I'll be talking about, and more within the MLB. Next up after MLB, I'll be talking some NBA playoffs. Talk about the new Western Conference and Eastern Conference Finals matchups. Already we already got one game already being played, and that was last night, or yesterday afternoon for that matter. It was the Western Conference game between the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Clippers. I'll be talking about that, and... The upcoming series between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Atlanta Hawks. That's going to be a great series as well. It's going to get into that. Um, and then after that, got the NHL playoffs as well. Going to be discussing the semifinals for both matchups. Talk about um, how each series is tied at two. So we got the best of three series for these series. And it is the Montreal Canadiens and Las Vegas Golden Knights. As well as the New York Islanders and Tampa Bay Lightning. Both series tied at two. So a great, great rest of the series to look forward to in both of those. And then to finalize the show today, I've got a special guest coming on the podcast today. It is that of one of my personal idols. And I'm sure you've heard his name once. um, At least in the past ten years. His name is Felix Zemdegs. He is a holder of 121 world records for the Rubik's Cube. He has set countless of records for various events 
and I've wanted to talk to him for so long about it, and I'm super excited for you to listen to our conversation. It's about 30 minutes at the end of the show today, talking Rubik's Cubing, the sport, the community behind it, because it's very, very big, and people don't see it. People don't recognize Rubik's Cubing, and I've talked about it here on the show before, but I've always wanted to kind of emphasize cubing as a sport. So I want to talk to Felix Zemdegs, the top Rubik's Cube solver in the world. I would say the greatest of all time in Felix Zemdegs. We're going to get to that at the end of the show today here on episode 204 of Monday Madness Sports Talk. Very happy to have you with me today here on June 21st, 2021. Get right into some baseball right up next. Be back in just a second. Stay tuned. Are you or your business looking to be sponsored here on Monday Matter Sports Talk? Well, look no further than my email, noah.festenstein at gmail.com for inquiries. Again, that's noah.festenstein at gmail.com. If you or your business are looking for a public service announcement or a sponsorship for our segments here on Monday Madness Sports Talk. This is Noah Festenstein, host of Monday Madness Sports Talk, and I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in for this week's episode of MMST. I want to remind you, if you want merchandise, please email me at noah.festenstein at gmail.com. Welcome back to the 204th edition of Monday Madness Sports Talk. Talking the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. And we have reached some Chicago sports topics here for some baseball. Because you would say that both Chicago baseball teams are very relevant. So let's get into it. This is Hermitude Hyper Paradise. The Flume Remix. Gotta love this throwback song from about nine years ago. So... Before I get started, I want to actually talk about that PSA you heard right after the intro, the one about sponsorships and public service announcements, because I want to tell you guys that there are opportunities for you and your business or wherever you work or whatever you do, maybe your podcast or YouTube channel wants to be shouted out here on Monday Madness Sports Talk, please email me at noah.festenstein at gmail.com for public service announcements or sponsorship inquiries, because I'm going to start to do that. The show has become popular enough where I feel like it is time for some sponsorships and all that great jazz. So for the first sponsor I want to announce here on the show, sponsoring this segment here today, and as a public service announcement, I want to really, really emphasize the website I have used for my merchandise here for Monday Madness Sports Talk, which is still available, so you should check it out. It is Printify.com. So if you're looking to start some new merchandise for what you're doing, your own podcast or whatever you do in your business, look no further than Printify.com. They connect with other uh, resellers for shirts, hats, mugs, all these other great merchandise items. 
um, to put your logo on at your disposal. So check it out. Once again, Printify.com sponsoring this baseball segment today. So let's get it started here for this, the first segment of episode 204. And I am very excited to talk about this week's power rankings. But before that, I want to talk about what's being put into effect today in the ma- ma- in Major League Baseball where banned substances... Not, I'm not talking about steroids. I'm not talking about all that stuff you put into your body. I'm talking about what pitchers use on the mound to help with their grip of the ball. And uh, if you've ever watched Major League um, with um, with Charlie Sheen, um, and the, I forgot what the player's name was, but they were in the locker room, and the, the pitcher of, of then the Cleveland Indians came up to Charlie Sheen, and he, he was like, yeah. Yeah, Charlie was. I'm not. I, I. I'm just gonna say Charlie Sheen because I just think it's funny to say his name. Charlie Sheen looks at the pitcher and he's like, "What's on your shoulder?" He's like, "Oh, this. This is Vaseline. Maybe a little bit of uh, baby powder and uh, some sunscreen helps with the grip of the ball. Maybe my curveball has a little bit more bites to it." So that's what I always attribute. The bad substances for pitchers, too, is that scene from Major League. If you haven't checked out that movie, that's the movie of the week this week. Major League from Char- of Charlie Sheen. Both movies, great movies. One of my favorite baseball movies of all time. So check that out. Obviously, if you don't like it, then you don't like it. Whatever. Um, anyways, bad substances. My thoughts on it? Well, I think Tyler Glass now of the... Tampa Bay Rays said it best because he uses it himself, and he's one of the best pitchers in the league, even though right now he's not because he hasn't been using the substances. So um, there are good and bad reasons for using the substances, and there's a good reason why there's a rosin bag put in behind the mound. It's kind of like a sandbag. It's kind of like what you use in gymnastics for the uh, the chalk, right? You you pump the chalk on your on your on your hands for better grip of the bar or whatever you're doing in gymnastics. And in baseball, you got what's called the rosin bag. It's kind of like the same type of thing. It's kind of like a it's like a I don't know what the exact substance is. Let's look it up. What is in a rosin bag? Um, just for that clear, so, so it's just that's what pitchers should be using, and that's what pitchers should be. Uh, apt to using so a rosin bag is a small canvas bag with rosin powder a sticky substance extracted from the sap of fir trees used by pitchers to improve their grip on the baseball and keep their hands dry exactly the same concept as what gymnasts use in gymnastics and the rules are specifically allowed to keep the rosin bag on the field of play right behind the, the mound so that it doesn't get in you know, in the way of plays. And I have, I don't think I've ever seen the rosin bag being uh, a distraction or um, an obstacle in baseball because it's literally sitting behind the hill of the mound so that it doesn't get hit, literally. So I just think that's very interesting. I don't, I've never seen anyone trip over the rosin bag. It just doesn't, like the rosin bag is just the rosin bag. Um, but the thing that isn't the rosin bag are things like sunscreen, like I've mentioned, um, Vaseline, uh, all any any other foreign substances a pitcher uses besides the rosin bag, whether that's something that they put in their pocket, they put maybe on their neck, whatever, or maybe they apply it before the game for their first three innings so that maybe the grip on their hands are a little bit better. So now what 
uh, Tyler Glass now uses for the Tampa Bay Rays is sunscreen. Sunscreen is useful because it's it, it helps with the grip. If you ever use sunscreen, you can see why if you apply it to your hands and maybe put your hands on a baseball. If you're a pitcher, you can understand the difference of the grip. Now, the difference is a bit more extreme than what a rosin bag provides. And that's why it should be illegal. And I agree that it should be illegal. I don't think that it there should be any place in the game for anything else other than a rosin bag. However, the problem with Tyler Glass now is, is he's used it for so long that now since he's stopped using it, his performance level has gone down and his grip has diminished. And it has caused his arm to injure. There's a specific tendon that controls your grip when you close your wrist or clench your fingers go to your if 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 you're listening to the show right now bend your elbow and try to go to where your elbow bends right and right above it near where your um forearm is on the back side there's a muscle there's a muscle that controls your grip and when I, and it's the muscle that when it's being overused needs to be repaired otherwise known as Tommy John surgery or other types of operations that are like Tommy John surgery so that muscle near your elbow kind of where you your funny bone is it gets damaged when it gets exposed to different Grips, different stresses. That's what's happening to Tyler Glass now. Is his pitches are different. So, he just got an exam. And um, Tyler Glass now, he looks fine. Uh, The MRI looks good for him. Because it hasn't been that long since he stopped using the foreign substances. But the more that he does not use the substance, the more his arm is going to need to adjust otherwise. So when you, I, I think this, if you talk to any sports, phys, you know, physiologist, physiologist, whatever you call it, if you talk to a, maybe a physical therapist for that matter, right? You talk about the differentiation of following one routine and then immediately going off of that routine. Anything also in life, if you follow a routine and you end up not following that routine, doesn't that stress you out a little bit? Doesn't that change things in life? Maybe actually leads to something bad? It's kind of like a chain reaction to it, sort of thing. So when you get used to using a foreign substance and you stop, well, your body can get injured. It's it's science. It, it is a straight-up science that I think has a lot to attribute to Tommy John surgery. Maybe if you look at all these pitchers who have had Tommy John surgery, have they used foreign substances? Because think about it. In the steroid era, how many players use steroids and never confess to it? Same thing with pitchers. How many pitchers are using foreign substances and have never confessed to it, with the exception of Tyler Glass now? Unless they're getting caught. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> um, it, 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 it's funny because, like, you don't think about this on a daily basis of a pitcher doing this, but it really helps them with their pitching. 
Now, my argument is, if you don't want to get injured, if you don't want to have this issue, why are you using the foreign substance in the first place? And it makes me think now, now since Tyler Glass now has been a, an ace pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays for uh, a couple years now, that is that all kind of just irrelevant at this point? Since maybe he was using that foreign substance the entire time he was pitching uh, very well. And now his ERA is dropped immensely. Four points at least because of not using a foreign substance. So that goes to show how much of a difference it makes. So tonight, today, during baseball, foreign substances are being cracked down on pitchers. And if pitchers are being caught using it, I think it will be leading to a suspension. It will be maybe expulsion. I don't know. But um, I think it's good that MLB is doing this. However, some pitchers are against it, and it goes to show how many pitchers could be using a foreign substance, and that is concerning. Um, Not concerning the fact that they're cheating, concerning the fact that what I just said, it's going to lead to injury once they stop using it. It's going to put stress on that tendon, on muscles in their arm where they didn't think that muscles existed because they've used the foreign substance for so long. So that is my take on the foreign substance policy so far. I don't think it is a bad policy considering it does avoid cheating. However, you're going to see some more injuries from pitchers. I'm going to predict in the next year, we're going to see more pitchers injuries if they do not use foreign substances. And then you're going to see the emergence of new types of pitchers without using foreign substances that know how to grip the ball properly with a rosin bag and can pitch a sub for ERA. Enough said for that. Let's get into these MLB Power Rankings for uh, this week. Um, This is week 11. So after week 11. um, So like it's like week 11 after NFL. You know, you kind of get... Yeah, I said this analogy before, but I think it works. You know, after 11 weeks in NFL play, you kind of get the feel of who's going to be the leaders in each division. And we're kind of getting that feel right now. So I'm going to talk about that. And I'm also going to... um, Compare these power rankings with the current standings. And then once I get to the Cubs and White Sox, respectively, I'm going to talk about them and what their struggles may be and what their concerns may be, especially going into the trade deadline or even into the All-Star game because the All-Star game voting is being taking place right now. And in the next coming weeks, on my sports talk, I'll be making live votes for my personal um, All-Stars for each league. So, um... Let's get into it. So, MLB standings. We're going to start with the power rankings and move away down from the top 10 because that number 10 is our very own Chicago Cubs. Um, they were ninth last week, 10th this week after being crushed in the first two games of the Miami Marlins series. A combined 23 runs for the Marlins and a combined grand total of two for the Chicago Cubs. Um their struggles against the Miami Marlins just continue, especially at Wrigley Field after last year losing to them at Wrigley in the playoffs. Uh, just the struggles continue. And um, then they pull off a 2-0 win. Uh, so six total runs in that entire series for the Cubs. Not very um, encouraging, to say the least. However, still a very, very good Cubs team we're dealing with. And they start a series tonight against the Cleveland Indians, um, and the Cubs are looking to do some damage against a team that um, the White Sox are chasing in the AL Central. So the White Sox fans better be rooting for your Cubbies tonight. Uh, It starts at 7.05. 
So looking forward to a good two-game series. And the Cubs go on the road to L.A. for four games. They swept the Dodgers at home. So if the Cubs can win one out of those four games like they did against the Mets, they win the season series. Um, But I'm looking maybe hopefully two out of the four against the Dodgers. I think that would be a success considering the Dodgers are number one in the power rankings. They were number two last year, but... um, they killed the Diamondbacks, and the Diamondbacks are the worst team in the league. They're like the 30th in the power rankings. They're like, what, 20 and 52? And they went on like a 2 and 28 run or something like that. It's kind of like reminds me of the uh, Simpsons episode from 1992, uh, the Springfield baseball team that went 2 and 28, and that was their best season ever. That's just so. If you look up the 1992 episode, the baseball episode for the Simpsons, that reminds me wholeheartedly of that 2 and 28. And then Homer Simpson leads the team. And then the Daryl Strawberry comes in and crushes like 10 home runs in a game. Uh, so that is um, good for the Dodgers. And also, if you looked at the Dodgers game from Arizona, if you, it was like a home game for the Dodgers. Like, literally, it was a sea of blue um, at Chase Field in Arizona, and I've been to Chase Field, and there's not a lot of Arizona Diamondback fans. And there's one team that I think should move out of one place. It could be Arizona. There's a there's a few teams where I think that they should move in place of maybe bringing it back to Montreal. How about that? Montreal Expos. Get get the Arizona Diamondbacks out here. Bring back the uh, Montreal Expos, or uh, even that. Uh, take away the Miami Marlins. I don't know. Just kidding. I love you, Miami. Um. Okay, so let's get into more of these power rankings here as we're steamrolling through this baseball segment. Thank you so much uh, for sticking around. Once again, this is being sponsored by Printify.com. For all of your merchandise needs, go to Printify.com. They have all resellers for merchandise items. It's great. Great time. That's where Monday Mass Sports Side merchandise comes from. If you need more merchandise, please email me at noah.festenstein at gmail.com. Let's continue here on episode 204. Let's steamroll through. I want to talk about the Cubs still a little bit more. But um, I'm going to talk about the top 10 as we continue. So number 9 in the power rankings just ahead of uh, our Chicago Cubs is the New York Mets. Uh, They went 3 for 4 against the Cubs. They were ranked 10th last week. So I'm uh, not surprised that they're ranked 9th this week considering their performance against the Cubs. Um, Jacob DeGrom, man. he went eight for nine in the strikeouts against the Cubs. Eight strikeouts in the first nine batters against the Cubs. And this dude has given up four earned runs all season and has hit six RBIs. If this guy is the best National League pitcher two-way player you've seen in a while, I don't know who else is. Jacob DeGrom, I don't care if you're in the NL East and you're not a fan of Jacob DeGrom, you better be a fan of that man. He... To have a guy like Jacob DeGrom in the league today is such a blessing. To watch a player like that perform and shoot up over 100 miles an hour on his fastball as a starting pitcher with no with nothing. And he's not using foreign substances, right? He's great. This guy is great. And I love watching him pitch. Uh, it hurt that he did that against the Cubs, but still such a such a absolute pleasure. He had to leave that game early. Due to some complications with, um, I think his, I I don't know what happened, maybe his shoulder or something. Just make just for precautions, he got taken out of the game, but he he's fine. Um, 
So that's that. Let's go to number eight. This one surprised me a little bit. The San Diego Padres last week, they were at number five. But the Padres haven't been that great of late. So let's see what the San Diego Padres have been up to. Because I, I don't know how they've gone from, like, being number three three weeks ago to now number eight all of a sudden. But tonight they start a series against the Dodgers. So just another thing to watch this week is the Dodgers-Padres series. Because that is a series to watch always. Um, so check it out. The Padres, they had a series against the Cincinnati Reds and they swept them. They swept the Reds in a four game series, yet they still got bumped down to eight. A Cincinnati Reds team that's surging. They're literally surging in this NL Central. And I'll get to that in a little bit. Then they beat the Rocky. Uh, then the Rockies beat them. The Rockies beat them. Actually, they swept them. So the Padres got swept by the Rockies. Maybe that was the give right there, being swept by the Rockies. Um, and then the Mets beat them. So the Padres actually went on a five-game losing streak before they ended up sweeping the Reds. Um, but the the game on, what was it? What was, what was that really close game that was being played between them and the Reds? It was the game on Saturday. I think it was that 7-5 game. There was like four runs scored in the ninth inning from both teams, and then Victor Caratina hit, hits a walk-off two-run home run. Uh, it was the most intense game, one of the more intense games this season, and uh, very happy that I got the chance to watch that at the end. That was a great game. Um, so that's the Padres at number eight. Let's move down to number seven. The Boston Red Sox, last week they were eight. A lot of the teams that were in the top five in the first few weeks are now in just five through ten, so uh, keep that in mind because... Um, I'm not as knowledgeable with this Red Sox team. They, you know, they're up ahead in the MLB standings, or at least in the um, AL East. There's the half game in front of the Rays, who have been surging of late. Um, actually, they're four and six, but the Rays—they just seem good. I, I'm, I'm all in for the Rays, and the Rays are um, big news for the Rays as they are number six in the power rankings this week. So. Might as well just start talking about the Rays. I think the Rays... Just want to make sure I'm correct here. Um, They're calling up... Yes, yes. This is the great news I wanted to talk about today. The Rays are calling up Wander Franco to the bigs. Um, He's the only active player born in 2001. And he is the top prospect in all of the MLB. So one of the top teams in the MLB is calling out their top prospect in the MLB, Wander Franco. So um, that's going to be really fun to watch, seeing the development of a kid who was born in 2001, four years after me. I mean, I'm getting old. I, I, I'm really getting old. I'm scared. But no, I'm fine. I'm 24. I'm not that bad. Um, so, yeah, that's really huge news coming out of Tampa Bay um, and something scary to kind of have to look forward to for this uh, AL East having to have to deal with the top prospect in MLB. All right, number five, Chicago White Sox. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. White Sox, yes, they're still a great team. And don't let this past series fool you. They did get swept in four games by the Houston Astros. I'll get to the Astros in just a bit here. Um, the White Sox last week were third-ranked. Now... They're lacklustering, if you may say. Um, 
The Sox are still first place in the American League Central. They're just by two and a half games over the Indians, which is why they need to root for the Cubs this week. The next two days, if the Cubs can sweep the Indians at home, the White Sox need to at least thank their North Side rivals for that because that is a huge series for the Cubs to have to win against Cleveland. And I'm rooting for the Cubs because of the White Sox, but also because I'm a Cubs fan, but also because I really think it's going to help the White Sox case after being swept by the Houston Cheaters. So, um, the only other team in that division with a winning record is that of the Indians. So, think about it. In the AL, in the AL Central for the MLB standings, you've got to think that the Indians and White Sox are going to be the only two teams standing above. Because look at this. The, the Minnesota Twins are 12 and a half games back of first. A couple days ago, they were 15 games back, but since the White Sox got swept, that number changed. But don't, ex- don't expect the White Sox to get swept like that because they got swept by a really good team in the Houston Astros. And I'm going to get to that in a couple seconds here. Um, but the Indians, 39-30 against the 43-29 and White Sox. Uh, the White Sox now, looking ahead, they got a series against the Pirates, a two-game set um, in Pittsburgh, and then they go back home to play the Mariners on Friday night in a four um, in a three-game set there, and then they got a four-game set at home against the Twins. So a seven-game home set, homestand coming to the South Side. Looking forward to that a lot. Um, that Twin series is going to be a fun one. Even the Mariners series, the Mariners have been uh, doing pretty well of late. Um, but yet they are not in the top ten of the MLB power rankings as we get now to the number four spot in that of the Oakland Athletics. The Athletics lost two of three in New York over the weekend. However, um, they are doing pretty good in the MLB standings. Talk about the AL East or AL West for that matter. They are tied with the top team in the AL West, the Houston Astros, who are on an eight and two run in their last ten games. I'll get to the Houston Astros in just a second here. But the seven and three in their last ten games is the Athletics. So stick it around. In a tight knit AL West, um, with the Mariners also thirty eight and thirty six, they're six and a half games behind. With the Angels seven and a half games behind at thirty six and thirty six, you can forget about the Texas Rangers there in the AL West. Um, when you talk about the Athletics, they're doing very well right now, and that is the one team that is going to rival this Astros team moving forward. And I think that the Athletics is the one team that everyone's going to be rooting for the rest of the season, considering the Astros, just the narrative behind that team right now is not healthy in any of the slightest. Um, but I've got to hand it to the Astros. They are doing pretty well right now. Um, so I'm going to talk quickly here about the number three ranked team they are um ahead of the nl west if you talked about if you thought that the giants were going to be ahead of the very 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 talented nl west at this point of the season i thought you'd be joking but no this giants team is 46 and 26 that's the best record in the league behind the Los Angeles Dodgers at 44 and 27 and the San Diego Padres at 42 and 32. Those three records are the best records in the National League and they all are in the National League West. So to keep that in mind. Um talk about the NL Central. The Milwaukee Brewers are 40 and 32. The Cubs are 40 and 32. So that's a tight knit group right there and the Cincinnati Reds have been surging. They are four games behind alongside the Cardinals at four games as well. So you're talking about the NL Central. That's the most competitive division in all of baseball right now because you got four teams in the mix. NL East, while I'm on the standings, you got the Mets at 36 and 29, Phillies at 34 and 35, 
So you only got one team above 500 in the NL East, a very weak NL East, it seems like. And the Braves are 33 and 36. Nationals are 33 and 36. So that's um, still a tight net division, but they're all just under 500, basically. Only two ga- or, um, seven games above 500 are the Mets. And you got to think that the Mets are going to start maybe walking away with that. Only four games in front. Um, then the American League, Red Sox, 43-29, 43-30 30 are the Rays. Um, White Sox, I've already mentioned, 43-29, and 29, above two and a half games over the Indians at 39-30. and 30. You got the AL West, Astros, 43-28, and 28, and the Athletics at 44-29. and 29. So, that being said, let's move forward with these MLB power rankings. Astros at number six last week, now at number two. After a full-on sweep of the White Sox, excuse me, I'm getting the hiccups here. Um, very important series for that Astros team to kind of develop what they have. You know, they have such. I'm going to say the Astros has the have the best offense in the league. If you look at it, they outscored the White Sox 27 to eight in that entire series um, against a really good rotation the White Sox brought in Lance Lynn. He had Carlos Rodon pitch a game. It just wasn't a good series for the White Sox. The Astros took advantage of it, but with the um, tr- you know trash cans being in the dugouts, God knows if the trash cans were being pounded. Um, number one is that of the Dodgers. I've already talked about them. Uh, the Cubs and Dodgers will be facing off this week, so looking forward to a good, nice four-game set in L.A. for that one. Um, and I'm not surprised that the Dodgers are up top. Um they do have a really promising record, but they are still behind the San Francisco Giants in their division. So, to kind of wrap baseball up, maybe the Cubs. I'm really, really nervous about this trade deadline. Because this trade deadline is going to basically be the deciding factor in whether or not Jet Hoyer and David Ross believes in this team that they can go far this season. Because if they don't believe that this team can go far this season, they're going to start to sell or they're going to buy. I think they're going to buy. They need a starting pitcher. Who are they going to trade for that starting pitcher? I don't know. But I think Jose Barrios of the Minnesota Twins is the best option. The Twins need some farm system um, people. Maybe the Cubs can trade away guys like maybe Alcantara, who's been playing very well. Guys like um, maybe even P.J. Higgins. Just like smaller players like that. Not not something big. But Jose Barrios is a very good option for this Cubs team. Um, and he's been uh, on the talk. I think he's a great option. There's a couple other options for this Cubs team to pick up a pitcher over the trade deadline. But that's what they need. They need another starting pitcher. They can't just stick with Zach Davies and Jake Arrieta, who hasn't been playing out the standard. Um, Kyle Hendricks, he's won seven straight starts. He's the only silver lining in this Cubs rotation. But then the best silver lining in the Cubs pitching as a whole is their bullpen. And it's just nice to know that the Cubs have a reliable bullpen. They have a bullpen that is better than worse, right? You know, they're not, you know, we've been accustomed to in the North side uh, that the bullpen isn't that great. But now to have a bullpen that's good, as long as the offense can provide some assurance, this bullpen can really, really get the job done. Same thing for the White Sox. They just don't, sometimes they don't get it done. You know, a great example was the game I was at um, this past week, the the rubber match against the Tampa Bay Rays for the White Sox. They were down, they were up 7-2. to two, And then they gave up the lead with their bullpen. 
and they ended up winning in extra innings, but you don't give up a 7-2 lead like that with a bullpen to the capacity of the Chicago White Sox. Just saying. Just saying. Alrighty, I think that should do it for baseball in this segment. Great, great 30-minute segment here. Uh, sponsored by your truly, Printify.com. Check it out. Merchandise is available for Monday Mass Sports Talk. Email me at noah.festenstein at gmail.com. Whether that's for merchandise, whether that's for any inquiries, for public service announcements, you want your restaurant shouted out, you want your, your brand shouted out, email me. We can get something done here on the 204th edition of Monday Mass Sports Talk. Got a lot more here on this episode, including NBA playoffs coming up next. NHL playoffs and an exclusive interview with the world's best Rubik's Cube solver, Felix Zemdex, coming up here on June 21st, 2021. Be right back. Stay tuned. Welcome in to Monday Madness Sports Talk, your one-stop shop for all things Chicago sports and beyond, right here on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Get it going here for the second segment of today's show. Here on episode 204 of Monday Madness Sports Talk. Talking the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. So it is time for some NBA playoffs. This is Killer from Carl Nunez, Junix, and Ruby Prophet. The radio edits bringing me into this segment. So let's do it. Talking about the NBA playoffs. And we have reached the conference finals. And we've already seen one game, one really good game, and I think. It had like over 20 different lead changes. Uh, everything you wanted to see in a very competitive semifinal matchup for the NBA Finals, otherwise known as the NBA Conference Finals. Yesterday we saw a really good one between the Phoenix Suns and Los Angeles Clippers, 120 to 114 in favor of the Suns. Um, I think there are a couple of um, worthy notes to kind of talk about, considering in that, um, you know, you got no Kawhi Leonard, uh, you got no Chris Paul. Chris Paul is on the COVID IL, so he's got he's tested positive for COVID, so we don't know when he will return. It's got to be a minimum of two weeks since that was um, presented. So I'm thinking once. Um, I just want to be sure of when he did test positive for coronavirus it was on june 20th so that was basically uh, official yesterday so if you really think about it chris paul until he tests negative could be within two weeks i don't know um he's symptom free but he's quarantining in los angeles um so that is good news for chris paul he's not feeling any symptoms of the coronavirus um, but with the protocols that are in place, he might have to miss two weeks, which is a huge, huge loss for the Phoenix Suns. However, if they keep playing like they did yesterday, they will make the NBA Finals, and they will have Chris Paul back in the lineup, um, which could be good for Chris Paul because he's coming in fresh, right? You know, you, you need that guy to come in fresh, but then on the other hand, you got Kawhi Leonard, 
of the Clippers, who's injured. And this entire playoffs has been injury-written. Like, literally injury-written. And it's so tough to see because I think the biggest theory, and LeBron James brought it up, is that the shortened season and the fact that the NBA went straight after, like, what, a month and a half, two months after last season, went straight into this season without barely any rest. It's just causing the players' physical bodies to just deteriorate. And we're seeing that with the injuries that, that, especially for the top players, like for the Brooklyn Nets, you saw Kyrie Irving go down with an ankle sprain, you know, when you're, you're putting so much pressure on your ankle muscles or any muscles in your body, you're more than likely going to find yourself an injury. However, Kyrie Irving did roll his ankle, so that does have to do with, you know, a physical exertion of the muscle, um, but he's still injured. And it, it goes to show that either there's a curse in the uh, NBA or there's a specific reason why these many, there's this many injuries we're seeing. Atlanta Hawks, Cam Reddish, his Achilles, he's out for, um, he was out for the 76ers game for the Atlanta Hawks, so hopefully he'll come back for this series against the Milwaukee Bucks. DeAndre Hunter was out June, June 15th. His knee underwent a successful surgery to repair a torn meniscus, and he's expected to make a full recovery before the start of training camp. So DeAndre Hunter is out, Cam Reddish is out, Brandon Goodwin is also out, but he's been out since May 18th. So, um... That is some issues for the Atlanta Hawks going into the conference finals up against the Milwaukee Bucks, who I don't think um, has any significant injuries other than Jordan and Wara. His thigh, he was out for game seven against the Nets. If it's your thigh injury, I'm assuming it's not that bad, so expect him to maybe come back. Um, and that's really it, the significant injuries for the play, uh, teams that are still in the playoffs right now. But it's just hard to see how many injuries are we're, we're, we're seeing. And um, when we talk about Chicago Bulls, Kobe White is out. He, he's been injured too. So there's nothing specific behind his injury, but hopefully he'll get better before the season starts next season. Because the Chicago Bulls, before I get into the playoffs, talk about that for a couple seconds. This is going to be an eventful offseason for this Bulls team. Whether or not they do get top four in the draft lottery, since they traded away for Vukovic, they lost the opportunity to get a first-round pick unless it is a top four pick from the draft lottery, which is tomorrow night. The draft lottery for the NBA is tomorrow night, so by this time next week, we'll figure out whether or not the Bulls get a significant first-round pick because if they do get a top four pick, this Bulls team is going to be really good next season. If they... If the draft lottery goes into the Chicago Bulls' favor, I am telling you, this Bulls team is going to be sellers on the trade market. I'm going to guess they're going to want to trade Laurie Market, and they're going to maybe want to even trade Kobe White for a true point guard. Not saying Kobe White isn't a true point guard, but this Bulls team needs a true point guard. And I'm thinking, Lonzo Ball, Lonzo Ball, give me Lonzo Ball. Him in a Chicago Bulls jersey just seems right. Think about it. Think about him in a New Orleans Pelicans jersey. Does that look right? No. I think the New Orleans Pelicans could do well with a guy like Kobe White and maybe Laurie Markin. And even though they're they're two injury-stricken players, they can do well. So I think a true point guard to the likings of Lonzo Ball with the Chicago Bulls team, and especially if they have a top-four pick in the draft, they could even trade that away for a guy like Lonzo Ball. That could be massive. 
I don't think they should trade a top four pick because this is a really good draft pack classes. But when you have a great pick like that, you have room for the other players that you have on your roster to say, hey, we're going to put you on the chopping block. So um, that's very important to recognize for the Chicago Bulls team moving forward this offseason. I'm really happy I was able to bring him up in this um, segment because I haven't talked about him in a little bit. And this is a Chicago-based podcast. So, of course, I would love to give some love to our Chicago Bulls in which I really think they're going to be a playoff team next year. Even if they do not get a top four pick in the lottery, expect the Chicago Bulls team to be a good team next season. Billy Donovan. I love him. I like Billy Donovan. I think he's a great head coach for this team. The right head coach for this team. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think I'm right. Anyways, let's move on to the NBA playoffs. Tonight, actually Wednesday night for that matter, sorry. Um, we're going to see the Milwaukee Bucks and Atlanta Hawks face off in game one in, in Milwaukee. I got Milwaukee winning that series in six. And guess what? I told you so. I told you also that the Milwaukee Bucks are going to beat the Brooklyn Nets. I told you so. Even without James Harden and Kyrie Irving with the with the injuries, I knew the Milwaukee Bucks was just a, a well-rounded team. Middleton. Giannis, those are the two guys. Those are your two guys. And I knew that the Milwaukee Bucks were going to make a push in that series. They're going to give the Brooklyn Nets some trouble, and that's exactly what they did. Milwaukee is in the conference finals, and I really do hope that the Milwaukee Bucks win. Um, I'm rooting for this Milwaukee Bucks team, and then I really do believe that the Phoenix Suns is going to outpace this um Los Angeles Clippers team. But once Kawhi Leonard comes back, that could be a very different story. So the sooner that Kawhi comes back from his injury, let's look at his injury specifically and um, what the implication is for him just to make sure he is out with a knee injury and he will continue rehabbing at home. He will not travel um, with the Clippers to Phoenix. Um, so that is basically week to week at this point. So maybe Kawhi Leonard later on in the series is going to come back. So that's what makes the early games in this series, game ones, two, and three, so essential, especially for the Suns team, where once Kawhi comes back, their chances start to dwindle a little bit. Um, because Kawhi Leonard in his in, in late playoff runs is at his be- is when he's at his best. So, um, but maybe that injury will uh, impede him otherwise. So we'll see. Um, but in my eyes, I got the Suns winning against the Clippers in six. I think both of these series ends in six. Um, if one series is going to go seven, I gotta say the Hawks and Bucks series is going to go seven. But six seems like the right number for both of these series. I don't really see it otherwise. But even that, the Suns could even win in five. Um, but I don't see any of these teams losing in four. Uh, they, they've done... Uh, it's hard to imagine any conference finals team in any playoffs to, to get swept, uh, considering what they've done, unless they're just an injury-stricken team. Um, and maybe the Clippers are of that nature. Maybe the Clippers will get swept. Who knows? Maybe the Bucks or Hawks could get swept. Um, but um, we saw a really good game um, uh, yesterday for game one of... Um, the Western Conference Finals. Terrence Mann for the Los Angeles Clippers is the man. Uh, he's, he got really hot at the end, um, and he's a really good three-point shooter. Um, Marcus Morris Sr., Nicholas Batum, Paul George, and Reggie Jackson. Once I saw Reggie Jackson's name, I was like, didn't he used to play for the New York Yankees? Nah, nah. He was one of the best hitters in all of October, but uh, one of the better shooters 
for the Los Angeles Clippers. He put up 24 points behind Paul George's 34 points. Rajon Rondo, he got seven assists. So you think you're looking at a guy like Rajon Rondo to really feed you the ball to get to the basket. But my take on the Clippers is they shot too much for three. At when they when the Los Angeles Clippers in that game yesterday started to go downhill and they lost the lead for the last time, I said to myself, they got to attack the paint, and they did not. They literally kept shooting for three, and once they shot, one, one three ball was missed, and then that's when the Phoenix Suns went on like an 8-0 run and never looked back. So um, when you're playing in very tight-knit games like that, you got to attack the paint, and you got to attack the paint quickly because... You know, you can uh, get a quick two, get a quick stop on defense, and get another two that you're up for right there in a matter of maybe 30 to 45 seconds if you can attack the paints quickly and efficiently. You got guys that can do that on this team, like Paul George, even though Paul George still likes to shoot from three. Um, and they got Nicholas Batum, a nice big center who can capture 10-plus rebounds a game when he plays 35-plus minutes. But then looking at the Suns lineup, I feel like that's a bit more well-rounded. You got a guy in Cameron Payne, former Bull, Cameron Payne. Really good player. I think he's the most improved player in this playoffs. Um, He only played 29 minutes, but he put up 11 points. And you look at Devin Booker, a 40-point triple-double. He is the Kobe Bryant of this era right now. He is going to be the Kobe Bryant. The way his his mid-range step-back jumper is reminiscent of Kobe Bryant. And it put a tear to my eye watching him do that the other night or yesterday. Devin Booker is a great player. He is the MVP of this team. Clearly, obviously, look at the stats. 40 points, 11 assists, 13 rebounds in 44 minutes. He only missed four minutes of that game yesterday. Look at DeAndre Aiden. He got 20 points in 37 minutes. He also got 13 points from Jay Crowder and Michael Bridges, 14 points. So, like, well, like when I say well-rounded, you got six guys who scored 10-plus points. And then you got your all-star in Devin Booker. This Suns team, and then you don't have Chris Paul on this team right now. So for the Suns team to do that to uh, this Los Angeles Clippers team was impressive, to say the least. Um... You know, Chris Paul, you don't you shouldn't expect him in the series, but if the Suns win this series and Chris Paul comes back, the Suns are my pick to win this NBA Finals this year. And what's the best, the interesting fact for this conference finals is all the four teams, the Clippers, Suns, Hawks, and Bucks, have not won a NBA championship since the ABA NBA merger in the late seventies. Isn't that crazy? So that's nuts. Like, like that to me is really cool. And that's go. And, and what I really love about these playoffs is, first and foremost, not saying I don't like LeBron, but him being knocked out in the first round immediately was such a breath of fresh air. Because, and then you saw the Golden State Warriors being knocked out, and it's just like, and now the Nets. You know, all these mainstream teams from this season have been knocked out. And it's a breath of fresh air for me because you get to see these new teams in action. You know, the trend for this past decade of basketball in terms of championships is is back-to-back championship. The Golden State Warriors, you got the Miami Heat, you, you saw then the Cleveland Cavaliers 
always be the conference championships, but ended up losing in the championship to the Golden State Warriors and then um, the Lakers of late. So, you know, it's just making sure that these teams, you know, are, you, know you get you get a different taste. That's why I liked when the Toronto Raptors won the won the championship is because they were a different team. And they were also a team in Canada, which never happens in basketball where a team in Canada wins the championship. That's what I liked about it when they won. So this season, this playoffs is a breath of fresh air, and I love it. And I'm really excited to see what the series is like. I think this has been the best NBA playoffs in a while, with the exception of all of the injuries. I think the injuries is the one Achilles heel of this playoffs. Did you see what I did there? Uh, that's funny. The Achilles Achilles injury. I don't know. Uh, that's terrible now that I think of it. Anyways, that should just about do it for this basketball discussion. A really, really good discussion. I was even able to fit some Chicago Bulls talk in this one. So um, that's awesome. And I'm really looking forward to the NBA draft lottery tomorrow night. And also a game two is tomorrow night between the Phoenix Suns and LA Clippers at 8 o'clock tomorrow. So looking forward to a very competitive series or game in that and such. Um, And for my sports back pick of the week, I got the uh, Phoenix Suns winning tomorrow. Um, They are at a minus 220. I'm going to take that and put a $15 bet in that one um, for the Phoenix Suns to win in tomorrow's game. Uh, maybe make a good 10 bucks off of that. Um, but that being said, we are finished with this segment here on the 204th edition of Monday Madness Sports Talk. Super happy to have you with me here for it. Up next, we got the NHL playoffs talking both series with the New York Islanders and Tampa Bay Lightning alongside the Golden Knights and Montreal Canadiens. Both of those series are tied at two. So best of three series coming up here on Monday Mass Sports Talk. Be right back with some hockey. Stay tuned. This is Noah Fessestein, host of Monday Madness Sports Talk, and I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in for this week's episode of MMST. I want to remind you, if you want merchandise, please email me at noah.festenstein at gmail.com. Let's get to it here for the hockey segment on episode 204 of Monday Madness Sports Talk. This is Zagala, the Vamps. We don't care. So let's do it. Because I don't care. We're 54 minutes in, and we're doing fantastic. And what else is fantastic is that of the NHL playoffs. This one's going to be a little bit of a shorter segment because... I don't really have much to say on the Chicago Blackhawks other than fire Jeremy Colleton. That's all I got to say. Alrighty, let's get into the current playoff situation in the semifinals. Normally, it is the Western and Eastern Conference Finals, but with the difference of the season, it is, well, different. So, it is now the Stanley Cup semifinals, only temporarily, because next season, uh, the NHL plans to get back to normal. Um, So... We got two great series, and it's hard for me to decide what series is better because you got both of these series are good for the same reasons. That's why it's so hard to pick because, like, none of these games have been decided 
passed with a differential of three goals. The only time that a team won by more than two goals was the game one uh, matchup between the Knights and Canadians, where the Knights won four to one at home. Um, and that was it. You know, every other game has been a one goal game. And the only other game that has been decided by more than one goal was the game two game between the Lightning and Islanders. And it was four to two in that one. But other than that, it's been a one goal game in each game of these playoffs. You know, the amount of times I get a notification from NHL app on my phone, it has been like, oh, there's three minutes left in this game and they're tied. Huh? <laughs> like, that's so fun to just see that. And then I'm able to go straight into the game on my phone and watch the rest of the game, whether that's at the end or in overtime. It's always a one-goal game, and I love it. That's what's so great about hockey, especially in this late stage of the playoffs. It gets so tight-knit, so close. And um, this the intensity of the Stanley Cup playoffs, being that the Stanley Cup, in my opinion, is the hardest trophy to win in all of sports. The hardest team trophy, for that matter. Uh, you know, obviously the NBA playoffs is the kind of the same format as the NHL, but you know, I said it last segment. You know, there's a lot of teams that go back to back in the NBA, but in the NHL, you barely see any back to back, other than maybe what we could see this year in the Lightning going back-to-back if they do end up winning this series against the Islanders. Um, And then, of course, the Stanley Cup Finals. So, that being said, that's why I say the Stanley Cup is the hardest trophy to win. It's because it's so hard to go back-to-back when you saw the Golden State Warriors, the the Cleveland Cavaliers going to the finals a lot. Um, And then, of course, in the earlier parts of last decade, um, you saw the Miami Heat, etc. And... The Boston Celtics, of course. But you don't see that in hockey. The only time you really saw that in hockey was with the Pittsburgh Penguins this past decade. And, of course, our very own Chicago Blackhawks winning three Stanley Cups in six years. You know, that's they didn't win any of those back-to-back. Um, another great example in basketball. The Chicago Bulls being so consistent in the 90s, winning six championships. Uh, that 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 is alone stating how hard it is to win in the Stanley Cup playoffs. You know, how, because goals don't come as well as baskets come, right? You know, that that's proven in this, in these playoffs. There's only one game that combined scored more than six goals. And that was that game two win with the Lightning over the Islanders, four to two. So like these goalies are fantastic. And um, I think what it comes down to is the goaltender performance. In any playoffs in the NHL, it is goaltender performance. And that's what we've seen and have been blessed to see for a long time. Especially for the Blackhawks with Corey Crawford. And then in 2010, you saw Antti Niemi. And then with the Pittsburgh um, Penguins, you saw Marc-Andre Fleury. And Marc-Andre Fleury, of course, is now playing for the Golden Knights. So we're seeing that. And we're seeing some great series. So... Both of these series being tied 2-2. Two to two. My prediction, Golden Knights and Tampa Bay Lightning in the finals. Now, the most intense moment of this series was the Game 4 moment between the Islanders and Lightning. And in the final moments of the third period where the Lightning had a chance, open goal chance, and a defender came in to save the puck before it goes into the back of the net. Uh, that was the most intense moment, and that's what led the uh, the Islanders to a 3-2 to two overtime win over the Lightning. And if that moment didn't happen, this Islanders team would be down 3-1 to one in the series. So you think about those types of moments and how game-changing that is. 
And that moment could literally save the Islanders' season if they do plan on making it to the Stanley Cup Finals. Now, in my opinion, I don't think this Islanders team is as well-rounded as this Tampa Bay Lightning team. I think this Lightning team is just a better team overall, and that's what's going to lead them to the Stanley Cup Final. Golden Knights, same thing. And this Canadiens team, they haven't played in a very tough division all season. They've only played teams in Canada, and the teams in Canada aren't as strong this season. So, you know, it's a little bit of a different ball game when they're facing now the Golden Knights, which have been a dominant team throughout this entire season. And what's interesting about that is none of these teams have seen each other. So maybe the game plan is a little bit different. And the gameplay is a little bit different as well because these teams have not played each other in a, in, the, in this season. You know, every single regular other season for the NHL, every single team plays each other at least once. So both of these series, the Lightning Islanders and Golden Knights and Canadians, none of these teams have played against each other. And I've mentioned that before, so it's going to be a different series. But that's what's so great about these two series being tied at two is now that they, they, they're, they're kind of acclimated with each other. Now they know the game plan. Who's going to execute that game plan better going into these next two games? So tonight at 7 o'clock, you got the Islanders and Lightning. Who's going to best each other out in Tampa Bay? Um, I'm going to be really excited for that game tonight at 7 o'clock in Tampa Bay. And then you got the Golden Knights and Canadians tomorrow at 8 in Las Vegas. I'm rooting for the Las Vegas Golden Knights throughout. Even if the Vegas Golden Knights faces the uh, Lightning in the Stanley Cup Finals, I am rooting for the Knights. The Knights are my my pick to win this year. Um, and the fact that they haven't even missed the playoffs since their inauguration in 2017 has been an unbelievable accomplishment for a Vegas team that was the first professional sports team in Las Vegas. So just to say that and to witness that is quite a treat, and I'm very much a fan of the Vegas Golden Knights. I know that might be an unpopular opinion, especially in the Western Conference, but I love this team, and I really think that they have a chance at winning the Stanley Cup this season. Um, so the Vegas. that being said, the, the, the Knights... Um, had a very close game against the Canadians in Game 4, and it was an OT yesterday. The first goal didn't even come until late second period. Canadians scored, and then the Golden Knights' Patrick Waugh scoring in overtime to send that game to a serious tie. So it's just like so many crucial moments in these NHL playoffs that kind of has your heart palpitating and beating out of your chest. Like that's Those are the moments that you look at most and say, Wow! This is why we love NHL hockey. And if you, your basketball uh, biased self, you saying that the NBA playoffs are always better, no, I uh, I really do believe that the NHL playoffs is a bit more uh, competitive. And well, the competitive level is the same because it's professional sports, but in terms of like physicality and everything of that nature and just. Everything combined, and the Stanley Cup being that the hardest trophy to win, it's just so high stakes. I am super satisfied with this playoffs this season, and um, even though it's been a different season and a different types of playoffs this the, um, in twenty twenty one, you still gotta admire the competitive level that these players are playing at day in and day out. Um, you gotta love it. You got to love the NHL playoffs. So that is that, the shortened version of the NHL playoffs this segment. Um, I mean, my picks is that I think the Golden Knights are going to win in seven and the uh, Lightning are going to win in six. Um, that's my prediction. I think that's a, I'd say that's a fair assessment. Unless the Islanders do end up winning tonight, then 
the Lightning have no other choice, but I do believe that the Lightning will win in six. Keep in mind, though, that the home t- home ice advantage, um, since it's a two out of three series at this point for both series, um, winning this next game for the home team is vital because then they have a chance to win on the road, and if they can't get it done, well, then they come back home for a full-on uh, game seven. So uh, I think both teams that are have home advantage right now have the advantage itself with the lightning and golden knights that makes a lot of sense because now fans are in attendance for both teams and they're going to be loud they're just going to be loud and this game five tonight and tomorrow night for these two series is the most pivotal game for both of these home teams because um you don't want to go to the other team's ice being down three two in the series and with a chance to lose it all that's just not a position you want to be at in any case scenario Okay, so yeah, I guess that's safe to say that's all I really have for NHL playoffs in this segment. I got more to talk about, hopefully, when we figure out who's going to be in the finals next week or the week after um, in terms of the development of the Stanley Cup Finals and the NBA playoffs. Um, So this is going to be interesting. Uh, Just as well, next segment is going to be very, very, very interesting. Because it is the first guest segment in quite some time. And it's been like five or six episodes since I've had a guest on the show. But uh, nothing better, I would say, to have the return of guests be that of the Rubik's Cube World Champion from 2013 and 2015 and has set over 120 records in various events for the Rubik's Cube. So the Rubik's Cube. The, the puzzle that you probably cannot solve, and some people that will listen to this segment are that of cubing fans. So uh, shout out to the whole cubing community. It's going to be shouted out big time by Felix Zemdegs, the world champion. Coming up next here on episode 204 of Money Mad Sports Talk. So when I start the next segment, I'm going to do a little prelude, little two-minute spiel on uh, the significance of this interview. And uh, we'll get right into it here on the 204th episode on June 24th, 21st, 21st, June 21st of 2021. Getting into it with Felix Zemdegs coming up next. Stay tuned. Welcome in to Monday Madness Sports Talk, your one-stop shop for all things Chicago sports and beyond. Right here on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Let's get it going here for the guest segment of today's show here on June 21st, 2021. So, let's get it going. And this is Came Here for Love, the Frito remix. Originating from Sagala and Ella Eri. But I know you came here for the guest segments. That's the guest I have been waiting to interview for quite some time now. At least since I first heard his name back in 2010 when he set his first 3x3 Rubik's Cube world record at just about 9.5 seconds. It is that of 
Felix Zemdex, the one and only Felix Zemdex, has set 121 Rubik's Cube world records, and his most recent one was a 4.22 seconds solve. So, 4 seconds, points 22. You heard it right. And uh, if you follow me on social media, at uh, Noah underscore Fest, that's my Instagram You've seen his video of that solve. Um, he is currently second in the world in the single solve uh, because one other person did beat that record recently. However, the one guy who has consistently had the record for a very long period of time over a, really a whole decade was that of Felix Zemdex. Whenever there was a record broken, he was there to re-break it. And, um, you know, getting to the... To the times of today during the pandemic, things have slowed down a little bit. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about uh, his process, his reactions to when he does break a world record. Um, it's going to be amazing, and I'm super excited. And he is um, actually in Melbourne, Australia right now, so I will have to literally adjust the schedule to make sure I can get an interview in with him because he is 15 hours ahead of Central Standard Time here in Chicago. Um, also, really, really big news coming out of the World Cube Association. They have announced two different locations for the World's Championships. And one of those locations, you know very fondly, um, here on this sports talk show. And we're going to be talking about that with Felix in this segment. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. This, the interview with Felix Zemdegs, and I would say the greatest of all time in Rubik's Cube solving, as I got the absolute pleasure to watch him compete at the 2018 United States Nationals competition, in which I competed at, but one of my biggest highlights of that weekend was watching Felix Zemdegs compete and win that competition, and now I get the absolute honor to interview him. Uh, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this, the interview with the best Rubik's Cube solver in the world, Felix Zemdegs. Uh, all right. Yeah. So I met you. At U.S. Nationals in 2018, I definitely don't think you remember this because it was like literally five seconds, but we were staying, I forgot what the hotel was called. I didn't like it. So we were staying at this hotel, I went in the elevator, and I immediately recognized you when I went in. Uh, and I was like, hey, Felix, you think you're going to win today? <laughs> and then you what gave did me I say? You were like, you gave me a weird nod, and you're like, yeah, I think so. And he ended up I, winning I, U.S. I don't Nationals. Think I, I, I don't think I would have said that. I think I would have said no. something like, I'll, I'll try my best. <laughs> I was trying not to be like, oh my God, it's Felix Zemdegs. Like, I didn't want to be like that. I was just like, you know what? I'm going to pressure you a little bit. <laughs> sure. But no, sure. you, you, obviously nothing phases you. Um, it seems like your whole Rubik's Cubing career and just your life as a whole is just so respectful as a, an I would consider you an athlete considering cubing is a sport, at least in my eyes. That's what I've been saying to my listeners for such a long time here on Monday Madness Sports Talk is Rubik's cubing is a sport. How would you like say that to somebody else? How would you describe cubing as a sport? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it really depends on what kind of definition or whatever you put on, you put on sport. Like, I guess 
I kind of tell people, you know, it's, it's like a, it's a competitive hobby, whether you call that a sport or not. I, I don't think the, the term really, really matters too much. I mean, I, I kind of put it in the same kind of ballpark as, you know, things like, like chess and, and competitive video gaming and esports and and that kind of thing. So it kind of sits in, in that category of, you know, mind, mind games with, you know, I guess, a bit of dexterity, like just like kind of video games is definitely a bit of dexterity involved, less was so in say chess but uh yeah i think it's kind of a bit of a bit of a combination of a physical plus plus mental felix over here he averages what right now five seconds if i'm correct uh not not quite i, was, <laughs> I call it six and a bit six, six. <laughs> well that's the best and like your average has gone from what nine seconds 10 years ago if i'm correct down mm. to now that time six seconds so it's like what was the ebbs and flows of your, you know, development of cubing, like in terms of improving, learning new moves, learning new patterns. And obviously we're talking with people who might not know how to solve a Rubik's cube, but how do you like coagulate all of those algorithms, all of those moves in a span of 10 years and knowing how to do it? Yeah. Right. I mean, so, so when I started, uh, I, I learned a pretty basic kind of beginner's method from YouTube, like, like most people do. And then, um, in the first, I'd say, year, year and a half, it, that was kind of, that, that's always the big kind of learning curve where, you know, you start out, you learn a beginner's method, but then you just discover that there's so many more advanced techniques and ways to solve the cube and you kind of go on that learning and progression path. And definitely in the first year, sec, year or two, like that's the time that you're improving extremely, extremely rapidly. Um, and it's kind of this reinforcing self-motivating cycle of, okay, you're getting faster because you're learning new things and practicing, right. which, which makes you want to learn more new things and keep practicing. Cause it's just, it's just this continuous cycle of improvement and learning. And that's um, that, that, that tends to happen yeah, very quickly. And that was certainly um, the case for me. And, you know, in the first couple of years, you know, basically learned kind of what was considered all advanced back then. Um, and then for the next whatever let's say 10 it's it's more it's more just being gradual you know changes to my to my solving style and learning things at the margin Uh, but you know you can get extremely extremely fast without learning anything too outrageously complicated is what i would say yeah no at least in my experience it i mean i'm colorblind so it takes a little slower of a time uh, at least for me to recognize the patterns that's why i order cubes at specific color schemes um it's just like knowing how to do each and everything in a specific pattern at specific times because there's 43 quintillion or amount of patterns in a cube and you have to basically sift through all those to get to that point in six seconds you have what broken 121 different records from the two by two cube to the seven by seven cube and everything what with all those records, Felix, like what stands out to you the most? And like with those moments when you break them, what's that like? Right, right. Uh, well, it's been a while <laughs> since I have, but um, uh, I think for me, it really depended on the context. Like, you know, there's certainly some records and stuff um, in the less popular events over the years where, you know, I've had the record, I've just like beaten it by a little bit and it's like an average, you know, an average time that's like half a second faster in one of the bigger cubes that was my own record before. And so that, those ones are not like, I guess in my recollection, those ones are not 
the particularly exciting ones. The, the really, really awesome and exciting records um, over the years are things like anything in the three by three is always um, like super special um, just because that's the, you know, that's the iconic original cube and that's the one that everyone's practicing and that's the main event and, you know, it's just by far the most competitive. And so those are, those are always great. And then uh, some of the really other um, most satisfying ones are where, you know, you break someone else's record. So there's, you know, been many, many times over the years where, you know, people beat my records and I had to practice and work to, to get them back. And that's, that's also quite a, often a day with practice. One. Uh, really, really varies over the years. Um, True. <laughs> like right. Life at, yeah, changes. Through, through, through high school, um, a decent amount, like a couple of hours a day kind of thing, a bit more on weekends. Depends if I had major competitions coming up. Um, and then through university and a bit afterwards, uh, it was a bit more sporadic. It was mostly concentrated around the, the big competitions. Um, and then probably the last couple of years, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's, the the amount has definitely decreased uh but right i, I would kind of say you know this i i solve a cube every single day like that's that's always been the case um yeah sometimes just fiddling with it you're not really practicing anything right. sometimes you kind of sit down and do time solves and try to work on something or um you know really really go for speed and so that's yeah that kind of thing i did a lot more you know what when i was starting out obviously so what is your, so you talk about the three by three record being the best record within that record. You, you said that there's been so many special moments. You've broken the three by three record so many times, which one of those records being broken have you cherished the most? Um, the, the, the kind of answer I always give to this one is probably my first, my first world record. Um, this was back in the start of 2010. This was, before, or this was the first ever Australian competition that we ever had. So I'd been cubing for almost two years and we'd not had the chance to host any official competitions in Australia because the WCA was, was so young, there was no delegates here. And so there was no way we could actually hold an official competition. So we did all sorts of unofficial um, events and things like that. But I guess this was, yeah, this was the first ever one. And so I'd been practicing like kind of all summer for, you know, two months on school holidays and, you know, my times, my, my solves at the time were definitely, you know, under 10 seconds that the world record average was 10.07. And so I was, you know, consistently always beating that at home um, and kind of <laughs> posting about you're, it. You're always and, the standard. I just remembered you being always the standard. And uh, especially if you to it. Yeah. I, I was posting about it a lot online, lots of videos yeah. here and there. And, you know, I was, I was super excited and I think everyone else was super excited for the chance for, for you know, for me to have a chance to go to a competition at that speed. And so... Um, to, to, to kind of pull it off and get the first sub 10 average was, uh, was pretty, uh, pretty satisfying and a big relief. So that's probably the, the most special one, but uh, there's been, there's been plenty of others as well. Of course. Obviously. Of course. I mean, you're the greatest of all time. You're the Michael Jordan of Rubik's cubes. How does that sound? Like when you, when people say that to you, and I'm sure a lot of people do, what, what goes through your mind? Uh, Michael Jordan seems like a bit of a jerk. So, well, maybe like Usain Bolt, Michael Phelps with all the awards, you know, it's just, yeah. Like what, what would you say maybe as we're talking on a sports show is the best athlete analogy to you? Uh, I like the, I like the Roger Federer. I like you. Okay. I'll, well, I'll stick to that. Roger Federer is even way better. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what, 18? Well, yeah, I think very relatable too. Just, I mean, the greatest of all time, I think, comes with a side of nice. And Felix, you're, 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 you're basically relished as one of the nicest guys, not just in the sport of cubing, just human beings that people have met, especially for guys like Max Park, who broke into the scene in the past five years and has broken some of your records. And I'm sorry to maybe bring it up, but you know, like, what does that, like, that makes you feel closer to him. And now we, we talk about the Netflix documentary that you made uh, called the speed cubers. If you ever check it, uh, check it out um, on Netflix, the speed cubers, one of the featured people in that is that of Felix Zemdegs here. Um, and also features it was Max Park. And I think that relationship with you and him, like literally signifies how how the community, Cuban community is like. How would you react to that? Uh, yeah, I, I think it was uh, a good depiction. Um, like, you know, there's, there's a whole range of different personalities in cubing. And, you know, some people are a bit more hardcore and take it super seriously and probably a bit less friendly. Um, and then goes, I guess, even sometimes to the other extreme where I think people are, <laughs> not taking it seriously enough but um i think uh on the whole like the cuban community because it's because it's kind of such an individual thing i think everyone is you know whether that's online or in competitions everyone's always happy to kind of help each other get faster and, and improve and um it's it's just all about kind of trying to conquer time and and you know right Im improve your own records and and um, set, set new PBs for yourself. Obviously, that becomes a bit different when you're kind of competing at the highest level. But you know, all the way up until that point, everyone yeah. is kind of helping each other and you know supporting each other. And, and uh, it's not really about oh, did I beat my friend today? Or like that, that that's fun and whatever. But yeah, you're not you're not you don't go home crying as a kid because you lost to your friend. You go home crying as a kid because you like stuffed up and didn't do well wow. in, in relative to yourself. And so. Um, because it's not like hyper competitive all, all that way along to when you become kind of top level com competitor. It's, it's not, it's not about, you know, beating other people. And so that kind of filters through to the top where, I mean, it, it, <laughs> I'd say it becomes more about <laughs> beating your opponents on the day, but uh, there's also, I think there's a lot of respect between, well, yeah. between competitors because exactly. everyone has, everyone, I think that's the case in any sport as well. People understand kind of the, right. the work that it takes to get to, um, get to that that kind of level exactly and respect that and that's a huge signification it's just like a, a testament to how close knitted this entire cuban community is especially here in chicago and in the midwest um as far as the competitions i've i've competed at um it, there's just every when you go to a competition you meet people you connect with the community um, but immediately you bursted onto the scene with just starting world records. What was that like? How did people look up to you when you just first blew up on the scene in 2010 or 2009 for that matter? Cause it was a year before you started really, really starting to break what 17 records in your first year, if I'm correct. Uh, I can't remember the exact statistic, but um, yeah, well, the first competition. I did I a little out, research, just yeah. a little research. Uh, I don't remember too specifically. I mean, I, there was definitely, some people which who were like oh this kid's too fast and like it's a bit frustrating and you know he's taking they're a little intimidated and, and and that's kind of uh that can be frustrating for people um i mean it's the complete opposite now where there's <laughs> yeah it's beating my beat, beat, beat all my records but um 
there's a little bit of kind of change involved at the start. Um, I, it's kind of hard to remember too much from from way back then. I think all, all I can kind of recall is just I was just improving so so quickly, um, and it was it was really really exciting um, for me, and yeah, exciting for other people as well. Yeah, and through all of that, like, what's the biggest lesson you've learned, like, in terms of improving so quickly, understanding your, you know, developing mind and, and just having that being presented on a world scale? Uh, what was that like for you? And how has that influenced your life? Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. So I would say early on, like, cubing was very, very small. So when I was, you know, at my kind of prime at, at my real kind of you know dominant level in whatever kind of 2010 to uh 2015 2016 like cubing was not nowhere near the size that it is today and there were nowhere near the amounts of kind of opportunities and and competitions and um ability to travel and kind of sponsorship and even just just general popularity like it was it was a much smaller uh, much smaller scene and so that was, uh, that was, that was kind of interesting in itself because, you know, when I, when I was at my best, it, it wasn't like I was being, well, I was in high school, you know, I, was, I wasn't being flown around the world all the time, um, to, to, to go and compete, which was, which was interesting. Um, and I mean, it, it kind of meant that everything else in my life was, was pretty normal and I could kind of go on with, go on with things pretty normally and just, um, practice on the side. And then, I guess whatever kind of second half of my career is when, well, I mean, cubing's grown and grown and grown just so much over that time period. But I would say particularly, I'd say in the last kind of five years, it's, it's just like exponentially accelerated. Just the amount of people that are just like, it's, if it's anyone so is more, a part of the so, community. So, yeah, yeah. So much more competitive. Um, it is, it is nuts. I was, when I was at us nationals and watching you versus max park, I was sitting in the wing section and i was just at one of my most vivid it felt like i was at an actual professional sporting event like it felt it felt surreal the atmosphere was amazing and you know just thanks to all the suspense going into that matchup in 2018 it was just crazy and the amount of people the cameras and everything i was just absolutely like excited i would just say is the proper word what were your what was going through your mind going what was that your first major competition here in north america right if i'm correct uh well, i'd been to a couple before so i went to probably the big one that really set off that was really like a eye-opener for me was was Nash, uh, was worlds 2013 in las vegas ah, yes, that was like vegas, yeah. by, i think that was almost double the size of any competition ever it was really the time where everyone from the entire world was able to go and have the, it was it was it was a massive massive event um so i've been to that one so yeah, what was went, that like to, going to that realization like this is bigger than ever yeah that was that was that i would tell you that was probably one of the most super super exciting moments uh, i've been i've been in queuing just to like the because at that one there'd been so many people that i'd just known and talked to over the years um that i'd been practicing in, in high school that i'd just never met and just, just, just the novelty of being able to meet, you know, hundreds of people that you kind of become familiar with over the years in, in person is pretty exciting in itself, let alone, you know, right. oh, it's a world championship. I'm here to compete. Um, so I went to that one. I went to US Nationals in 2014, which was in New Jersey. Um, so I'd been to a couple of big ones before, but uh, it had been a while since I'd competed in America. Yeah. So speaking of 
World Championships. Uh, the WCA World Cube Association just announced that two cities are up uh, to be the hosts of the 2023, the next World Championships. It is between Seoul, South Korea. Great, great option there. But then another great option is here in Sweet Home, Chicago. Felix, you don't have to feel pressured by me to say Chicago, but what would you, where would you rather go? Uh, <laughs> I've been to America a bunch, so I, yeah. I have not been to Korea. So for, from a novelty perspective, I, I think uh, Korea would be a more interesting place to go. But I think for, for the WCA, it, it really comes down to the, the quality of the organizing team and the quality of the, the bid itself. And I mean, location, diversity, and like where it has been historically does play a part, but I think what plays a much more important part is, you know, um, can, can the organizing team put on something which really showcases everything, right. um, every, uh, showcases cubing as well as possible. And so that's probably critical, but I'm sure both, both, would, be, uh, both would be great. I agree and, uh, with you. I'm, so. I'm indifferent ultimately. <laughs> well, yeah, at the end of the day, we're happy, you know, that the COVID situation is dying down, as we may say, hopefully, knock on wood, that continues uh, the development of the current pandemic. Speaking of which, I mean, how have you coped throughout this with no competition? I know there's been some online competitions, which is not the same, but still solving. What has it been like for you during this pandemic? Uh, for me, I would say... It, it... <laughs> The timing of everything for me has been very, very lucky. Um, and I've been very fortunate to, you know, to finish university, to, to kind of spend my time traveling and competing and getting a lot of that, not out of my system fully, but just taking all the opportunities that I could in whatever years, kind of 20, 20 16, 17, 18, um, and, and doing that a lot. Like if, if that had happened, I would say you know, if that had happened, if COVID had happened two and a half, three years ago, it would have been uh, <laughs> much more disappointing and annoying and frustrating for me um, to not have not had those opportunities. So I, I feel kind of more, yeah, I feel much worse for the people who are just starting out now or have been, you know, rising to the top, people like Leah Borromeo and Timon, um, these kind of kids who, you know, this, the pandemic has kind of um, taken away a bunch of opportunities for them to, to travel and compete and, you know, get a, sh get a shot at taking records and titles that you only get, you know, a finite number of opportunities to, to, to actually achieve in, in kind of your cubing career. And so that's where I, I feel a bit bad for me. I, uh, I, it's been kind of an, a nice break, I would say, and not have to worry and stress about, you know, practicing and competing and particularly as, I, as yeah. I'm getting older. And so it's been, it's been, it's been absolutely fine for me. Um, that's very humble of you though, to say, I mean, you, it's uh, just well, like, yeah, I, it, I, there's a lot of up and comers and that's just making sure that everyone gets equal opportunity in this pandemic throughout every sport for that matter has just been the, the downfall of a lot of opportunities for some people. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, cubing, yeah. Cubing, well, your peak years kind of generally people from, I don't know, 13 to 14 up to around 20 years old. So it's a, you have a decent amount of time um, and, and chances, but you know, worlds is only every two years. They only have continental championships every two years. So. Which is going know, to uh, the oceanic one is going to your hometown in Melbourne. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's not super prestigious, but... <laughs> well, hey, uh, but, I mean, it's, but, but, it's something. I mean, yeah, and, and there's also times where, you know, you, you can be the best in the world 
um, for a, only a period of six to 12 months in a specific event. And if you don't have the opportunity to, to break a record or to compete, then that kind of, uh, it's a bit of a downer as well. So, I mean, the, on, on the upside, they've had a bunch of these online competitions and um, things like things like the cubing at home series and, and the monkey league. And, and I think it's been really, really good for Twitch cubing and, and um, being able to, yeah, like uh, there's a lot of really, really professional kind of streams and setups that are being run, which is, which is great. Uh, but I think everyone loves the, you know, everyone meeting up in one place and, and competing. But yeah, for, for me, it, it's been a super lucky timing. Uh, and I've been yeah super busy with other bits and pieces. So yeah. So uh, besides cubing, what does that maybe help you uh, with your normal life in terms of your occupation, your studies? Um, you know, what, what do you uh, utilize? Cube? What do you take from cubing into your normal occupation? Uh, the main thing is just like that if you, you know, put your mind to something and work hard at something, then uh, yeah, generally, generally good things will come from that. Um, it's a pretty, pretty strong relationship between those things. That's a very words of the wise from Felix Semdex. That was. I mean, it's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty obvious, was, but like, it's pretty well, obvious. Yeah, but, but some cubing's, people cubing's don't. A, yeah, cubing's a good way of like really tangibly seeing that. You know, you, you practice, your times go down. You practice, your times go down. And you know, maybe in other things, it's not quite that clear, or it takes a bit longer, or um, yeah. So that that's one thing, and I mean, I mean just being. I don't know, having like some kind of satisfaction with, okay, things don't always work out perfectly as well. Like right. cubing and competing, um, I think takes a lot of resilience. Um, you know, there's so many people just trying to beat you, like beat you and people trying to compete. And there's only so many records and titles that, that are kind of available. And so I think you need to be pretty resilient and, you know, there's been so many times where I've missed a record, I've been beaten in the competition or not had a good day. And uh, I think the, the best cubes are, are you know, the, the ones that can, um, that can kind of not worry, like be disappointed in the outcome, but not become like, not let that affect their, their future competitions. I think that definitely revolves around a lot of different sports and things that people do on a daily basis. Do you, I'm, I'm actually going through a little bit of a pickle right now because I'm deciding what I want to put on my resume. Uh, should I put cubing on it? I don't know if you have, but uh, words of the yeah, wise. I, ha I, need I, I have, but I mean, that's because I spent, you know, a bunch of time essentially doing that as a, as a full-time thing. Um, and so I think it's interesting. Uh, it was, yeah, it's an interesting part. I mean, most people who put it on their would either put it on there because they have some kind of involvement in organizing competitions or officiating competitions. Not, not just, oh, I just went to a competition and did some solves and, and got my times recognized. I'm not sure that's something that I see too often or would be too interesting, but I don't know. It, it kind of depends on <laughs> what I think it depends on your for. line of work. If it can come in handy. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it's yeah. not, yeah. It, Cubing is not like directly relevant to, <laughs> to, to too much, oh. but there's a lot of tangential things like, um, yeah, a lot of things in parallel, you know, the, the, the organizing competitions. The, the, I think the broad the, narrative though, with people who say, Hey, you could solve a Rubik's cube really fast. You must be able to do this thing really good. Or, you know, must be doing math like every single day of your life. I suck at math. And 
I, I can still solve a cube. So, yeah, I, I think that proves it, is that it's just you can't really compare it to anything other than you can just solve a Rubik's Cube really fast. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say I would say that. Like, yeah, the, the, the thing I always say in, you know, kind of more mainstream um, interviews or kind of traditional news media, that kind of thing, or whether it's a job thing, like, yeah, you don't need, you do not at all need to be a genius to, to solve the cube or, or to solve it quickly. Um, it's not really about that. It's just, it's just kind of another sport hobby. Right. Uh, that, that's, this really brings me to my last essential question really at this point or lies now post pandemic and kind of everything's kind of setting in after breaking so many records, 121 total, what does Felix Zemdegs want to accomplish next? What do I want to accomplish next? Um, for me, oh, at, at this point, to be honest, in, in cubing, I don't have anything, you know, too much more specifically that I want to do. It's not like, oh, I want to go break this record. I want to win this championship, um, I think you know, getting to the age that I am and some of the limitations that creates and, you know, um, it makes trying to achieve that a bit more difficult, I would say. Um, so I, I don't think I have too, too, anything too specific in mind. Um, for me, it's like, I just want to, you know, continue, continue competing and improving and kind of be happy with, right. be happy with uh, everything that that's happened. And, you know, if that means I get some kind of, if I make it onto a podium of a world championship, I, that would be, I would be pretty thrilled with a, <laughs> with an outcome like that. But uh, there's no, there's not, uh, not anything to, to explain. Would you plan on attending no matter where it goes to the 2023 championships? Oh, absolutely. hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. Just making sure. And, I just, and don't, want you to fall, and, I just and, don't want you to fall off the map. Cause I'll just break my heart. But I no, mean, no. at the same time, life happens. And obviously every, everyone in the Cuban community wants the best for you and for what you do and what makes you happy. So uh, no, I, <laughs> it's been nice. I think I've flagged it, not explicitly, but definitely I have flagged it and everyone's been able to see, you know, the kind of transitions, <laughs> transition that, that's been happening. And right. it's nice that it's been uh, fairly gradual, you know, over whatever, three, three years or so when, you know, it was initially, okay, me and Max are kind of, uh, on equal footing and trying to break each other's records to, okay, Max is breaking everything. I've, I've still got the three by three and now I don't have the three by three anymore. It's, it's, it's been a very gradual process, which has been, which has been nice. And is that something um, you expected early on when you started breaking records or is that when, something you hoped when, to kind of avoid? When Max did, um, I think when Max started, uh, when Max started, it was still at a time when I was, you know, practicing a lot and competing a lot and, and really focusing on that. And so uh, it was just kind of, Oh, this is another, this is just another competitor that I have to kind of work harder to beat to, to, to try and beat. And um, then, like I said, it, it was a very gradual kind of realization of, Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I don't think, uh, <laughs> I don't think I have, uh, I don't think I've got this one. You know what? I, I just feel like, and I, what the reason why I asked that question is kind of like my grand finale sort of deal is because you've done so much and a hundred, I just don't think 121 total world records is going to be beat. And if cubing was still around in uh, two centuries, that won't even be beat. Um, so with that being said, what do you hope, what would you say to all these up and coming, coming cubers in terms of 
improving their style, you know, you know, developing in the game? Like, what would you try to inspire to these young Cubers or just any Cuber in general? I mean, specifically for those who get really, really fast, like people have different areas of strength. Like, you know, for some people like like guys like Ruhang, who just got the three by three record and Max it, it's, you know, their turning is just super, super, super incredible. And then you have people like Timon and like Leo, whose solutions are a lot better, but, and their turning is great, but that's not necessarily their, their strength. So I'd say for them, it's just like focus on your strength, um, figure out what the other, your other competitors are doing that you can kind of learn from. Um, and, you know, you might not be at like, you know, no, you're not, you have to kind of accept, okay, I'm not going to be able to turn as quickly as, you know, Ruhang, but you can do, you do, you can do things differently and, and make, can, you know, you know, beat him in other ways. And, um, so, um, kind of playing to your strengths is an important one. And then, I mean, just in, for anyone in general, I don't know, just, just try to have fun with it and, uh, right. go to, go to as many competitions as you can. Um, I think that's a really important thing. For, for for really fast people and also just for anyone like yeah. competitions are competitions are in my opinion the best part of cubing and so hopefully once COVID is uh kind of behind us then uh, people can can do that and i mean we've we've seen so much recently of you know competitions starting to emerge and then just getting absolutely filled out within the space of you know a few minutes and so uh, that's really really exciting and i think it'll just continue to grow I 100% wholeheartedly agree with that. And in my eyes, Felix, you're the greatest of all time. You'll always be the greatest. You have inspired me to start cubing. I only average like two or three times more than you. Probably, wait, I average 25, so I'll be five times more than you. So, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not the greatest, but you are, and you are always the greatest of all time. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show here today. And, um, it means a lot to me and the listener that you have spent your time here and uh, I can't see what you do next. I can't wait to see what you do next. And um, it's just going to be just another Felix Zemdegs legendary moments that we were waiting to see. Uh, (laughs) I'll try my best, but no promises. (laughs) Thanks. uh, Thanks very much for having me. Of course. No no issues at all. And uh, yeah, always love to talk about cubing. Love it, man. Thank you so much. Wow. (laughs) Wow. What a super humble guy and a super friendly dude that I am so grateful to have on the show. Been waiting for that moment for such a long time. And uh, thank you so much to Felix for joining me for that. I I loved it. I love that interview so much. Loved meeting him while not in an elevator for five seconds. So, uh, Great times and a great show here on the 204th episode of Monday Matter Sports Talk. And until next time, for episode 205, I will see you then.